Hi there, we really hope you enjoy this teaching from the message. To find out more about all the exciting things we're doing and how you can get involved, check out our website, message.org.uk. Good morning and welcome to Message Live and to this Friday teaching, the second edition of Friday teaching. Every morning in some way, shape or form here at the Message Trust, we meet as a staff team to hear the words, pray together, to worship together. And on Tuesdays, we're opening that up by going live across the internet airwaves and hearing from Andy Hawthorne every Tuesday. And then on Fridays, myself and Sam Ward and a few other guests are going to be sharing as well. And it's so brilliant to be able to do that with with a room full of people as well. Socially distanced, of course, but nice to have you here. And it's been a while since I've had the joy of actually speaking to a crowd. Um, that was actually a problem for me even before lockdown. So it's good to have a crowd here today and, and forced into the room to, uh, to hear this to happen. But I'm delighted to be able to uh, share over the next few opportunities that I have from uh, Deuteronomy. And we're going to be taking a look at something called the Shema. And we're going to be taking a look at what it means for God to be one. And the title of today's talk is There Can Be Only One. In fact, the truth is there is only one. And we're going to explore that a little bit together today. Let's start by, uh, by praying. Father, we just thank you for this opportunity to gather together virtually or in each other's presence in this room and to spend some time reflecting on your word. And God, we just pray that you will illuminate our hearts and our minds this morning as we dig deeply and richly into your truth and and desire to come out the other side different, changed, transformed, to become more like you and to become your hope into the world. The world might know that there is only one. His name is Jesus. For your glory, we pray these things. Amen. Amen. Now, uh, last words are important. How you kind of depart this life And the things that you say as you go can leave a lasting impression. There's been all sorts of famous last words throughout history, some in fiction and some for real. I think of the famous last words, some that had an impact on me recently were the last words of Iron Man himself in the MCU. Now, I've got to be honest with you guys right now. I am about to spoil the ending of Avengers Endgame. So if you haven't seen Avengers Endgame, I'm sorry. Although, to be brutally honest, someone's running out of the room right now. It's on you. It's like you've had six months of lockdown. What have you been doing with your life? You're going to watch every single day for six months. So it's not on me. I feel no embarrassment about doing this whatsoever. You could have watched Avengers Endgame plenty of times by this stage. But here's what happens. You put your fingers in your ear if you don't want to know, uh, but you're going to miss the word of the Lord if you do. So don't do that. So here's what happens at the end of Avengers Endgame. Iron Man, hero of the MCU alongside Captain America and all the other cool dudes and dudettes, is uh, facing off against the evil tyrant Thanos, who wants to wipe out half of the universe. And he has this magical glove that if he clicks his fingers and it's got some nice jewelry inside of it, that if he clicks his fingers, half the universe will be wiped out. And so Thanos is about to do that and he clicks his fingers and nothing happens. And it's because actually the jewels have been sneakily stolen from his glove and put into a glove made specially for the hero, Iron Man. And Iron Man gets ready to click his fingers. The thing is, when Iron Man does this, the power is going to be too strong for him. He's going to end his life. He's going to give his life for the greater good. And as he clicks his fingers to bring uh, salvation to the universe, not destruction, what does he say? His last words of 10 years of movies, 22 or however many movies it is, his last words are, I am Iron Man. Their words of defiance, their words of victory, their words of, I don't care who you are. You might think you're Thanos. You might think that you're the best. You might think that you're the most powerful that you can win, but you can't. Why? Because I am Iron Man. And he clicks his fingers 
I can see some people in this room getting excited, right? You don't need to see the movie. I liked it out for you. It's better. And as he clicks his fingers, the universe is saved. And his final words are words of victory and their triumph. And how do we remember Iron Man now as, as, as a hero? As a guy, yeah, he knew, his, he knew that he could do it. He knew that he stood on the side of righteousness. Words of victory. It'd be nice to go out with words of victory, wouldn't it? Words of triumph. But then there's other people that don't get to end in quite the same way. Leonardo da Vinci, most famous artist to have ever lived, famously said this before he died. I have offended God and mankind because my work did not reach the quality it should have. What? You go painting the Mona Lisa. Now, to be fair, I've seen the Mona Lisa and I think it's slightly overrated. It's tiny. You ever seen the Mona Lisa in the, in the Louvre in Paris? It's tiny. It's a tiny little painting. I mean, it's fine. She, she looks nice enough and everything, but it, but it is what it is. And yet people consider it to be priceless, a priceless work of art. And all the other things that you can come back in now if you ran out because of the fear over Avengers. So what happens in Avengers is that... No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. So... Um, Leonardo da Vinci, one of the most you know, successful in terms of the quality, his influence, his fame over, over his art that the world has ever known. And he has words of regret at the end of his life. I have offended God. My, my painting was not good enough. I've offended God. I've offended the people that have to look at my paintings. Wow. Talk about words of regret. Give yourself a break, da Vinci. You did some decent stuff. There's plenty of examples throughout history of people saying, you know, I love you. you, you've been special to me, you've been important to me. Throughout history, we hear last words that try to convey something of a person's life, of their value, of the value of those around them. And then we arrive in Deuteronomy, and we get the last words of Moses, this most important of figures to the Jews, who, who led by God's power and anointing, led the people out of slavery in Egypt, led them into the wilderness. They couldn't inherit the promised land because of their unfaithfulness just yet. They needed to wait. They needed to wait. They needed to wait for refinement. And Moses leads them for 40 years into the wilderness. And as he does, he speaks to them on behalf of God. He gives them the Ten Commandments, the way by which they can live according to God's purpose and law and will. And he arrives at this moment in Deuteronomy which is basically a book of, of speeches, three maybe speeches of Moses, giving his final instructions, a little bit personally from him, but also, of course, clearly speaking from God, it, it reminding them of their history. And by this point in, in Israel's history, we're talking about second generation Jews, that not, the, not the first ones that were led out of slavery in Egypt, but actually their, their children. Uh, the, so Moses is saying to them, look, you know, your parents messed up when they left Egypt and they weren't faithful to the Lord and so they haven't been able to inherit the promised land but you're going to be able to inherit the promised land the only thing is I can't come with you I can't come with you because I was disobedient to God and I've been told that I won't be able to go there but also because I'm coming to the end of my life so let me tell you where your ancestors went wrong where your fathers and mothers and your grandparents where they went wrong where they let you down where they let God down don't make the same mistakes they did let me remind you of God's law of his commands let me remind you of how he wants to keep you as a holy people who are representative of a holy God you're about to go into new lands and there are all sorts of gods in these new lands but there there is only one true God and he's our God and you are his people and you will represent him and as Moses is going through these speeches we arrive at this moment in Deuteronomy 6 verses 4 through 9 something we call the Shema a prayer that is prayed still to this day twice daily sometimes three times daily by devout Jews something that is never missed out of Sabbath worship in the Jewish community. So, so important. Originally just verse four, but now expanded. 
verses four through nine for a whole liturgy that the Jews have. And it goes like this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Over the next three talks that I do and uh, fortnightly visits in these Friday mornings, I'm going to be breaking this down and we're going to be looking at three different parts of this Shema. And the word Shema is actually just the Hebrew for, for the very first word in this uh, passage, hear, or more specifically, listen. But it, it doesn't just mean to take words in, it actually means to act upon the words that you hear. There is no divorcing with this word of an idea that you could hear something and then not be obedient to do what what it says to do, especially when it comes from God. So today what we're going to do is we're going to look at the idea of of listening and hearing, first of all, what is being said. This very first uh, verse, Deuteronomy 6.4, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This is a, a doctrinal statement, a truth, a reality. That's the first thing we're going to focus on. What does it mean to know that there is one God? And then over the next two that we do, we'll actually start to think about what does it mean to respond, to actually act upon uh, what that uh, means and the requirement to respond as is laid out by Moses to love the Lord our God uh, in all the ways that he asks us to do. There are a lot of terrible movies made in the 1980s, and yet it's, I think it's still my favorite period of movie history. And uh, my, my wife, Naomi, gets infuriated with me, uh, constantly trying to show her uh, 80s movies, old movies, as she calls them. And uh, I, I'm like, you, baby, you've got to watch this movie. It's so good. And then I, I get halfway through it, and I think I've made a terrible mistake. <laughs> One, it wasn't as good as I remembered it being. And two, even if it had been, it just wouldn't have been her thing at all. One of the movies that I used to love in the 80s that, that I... I'm not interested in at all anymore. It was a movie called Highlander. I don't know if anybody saw that movie. Don't watch it. It's a terrible film. Terrible film. But the tagline of that movie is, there can be only one. It's about a group of immortals who are, there's good guys, there's bad guys. There's really only one main good guy in the story. And uh, if uh, one of these immortals kills another one of the immortals, they get their power and they become more immortal. I mean, I don't understand how that works. So you're either immortal or, or you're not. But anyway, they, they kill the other person and they get more immortality. And the idea is if you kill all of the other Highlanders or whatever they are, it's a long time since I've seen it, then, then you get the ultimate power because there can ultimately be only one. Now, the funny thing about Highlander is it does have one of my favorite movie stars of all time in it. It's got Sean Connery in it. And the reason I love Sean Connery is because he pops up in so many of my favorite movies, the James Bond franchise, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. But the funny thing about uh, Sean Connery is that no matter what character Sean Connery is playing, no matter who he's trying to be, no matter where he's supposed to be from, how does he sound? Scottish. Every single time, his accent never changes. In Highlander, he's supposed to be Spanish. He's like, oh, hello, I'm, uh, I'm Spanish. And uh, I like, do you like paella? And that's Sean Connery. And then if he's a Russian submarine captain in the hunt for Red October, I'm thinking about defecting from Russia to, uh, to the USA and my submarine. Or if he's uh, an English spy, I'm from England. I'm a spy. I'm 007. Or if he's an Irish-American uh, cop in The Untouchables, I'm an Irish-American cop. It's the Chicago way. Whatever he's trying to play, he sounds exactly the same in every single movie. Now, we go with it because he's a good actor and he's got movie star charisma, 
but we never really buy into the idea that he's actually from these places. And you never really buy into the idea that I'm Sean Connery because my accent's terrible, just like his accents are terrible. Here's the thing. We might go with it a little bit. We might go, oh, he's got, he's got movie star charisma and we kind of like uh, watching him in the, in the movies. But ultimately, we're not convinced. The more we watch, the more we think about it, the more we're like, no, he's not really from Russia. He, he, he puts on a good show to a point. There's other actors who do better accents who maybe convince us more than Sean Connery. We get so far in believing that, that, that they are who they say they are, but ultimately, what is it revealed to be? It's revealed to be false, an act, fake, not authentic. And actually, that paints a good picture for us as to what Moses is trying to communicate to um, the people of Israel. Who knew that Highlander would help us get there? That actually, people of Israel, there can be only one immortal because there is only one immortal, and he is ultimate. And he will not share his glory with anybody else. Why should he? Nobody even comes close to him. And actually, there are many fakes out there. There are many frauds. Some of them will be more convincing than others. But let me tell you, if you follow them, the more you follow them, the more you will begin to realize in time, uh uh-oh, this isn't actually what I thought it was. It looked good on the surface. It sounded right. It had the right accent. It acted in a certain way. It looked like it was going to be a God that was going to help me. But ultimately, it's inauthentic. It's bankrupt. It has nothing to offer me. So it is with the gods of this world today. They might put up a good show for a time, but eventually they will always be revealed to be what they are, not real, inauthentic. Although it would be wrong to say that they're useless. People say, don't believe in a fake God. That's useless. I'd say, no, no, it's worse than useless. It's useless sounds like it's not going to do any harm. It's useless. Oh, that's all right. Then if it's useless, we don't need to worry about it. No, no, no. It's not useless. It's useful to the enemy. It's useful to Satan. Why? Because he longs to distract you from who the one true God is. He longs to destroy your faith in who the one true God is. And so he will find a usefulness to any other gods with small g at the front of their name instead of a capital G at the front of the one true God's name to distract you and dissuade you and discourage you and disorientate you and ultimately to destroy your faith in who God is. Be honest with yourself right now. How many gods do you worship? Be honest with yourself. How many gods do you actually worship? Because I'd be very surprised if every single person in this room and every single person watching via the the stream could actually genuinely say, I only truly worship one God. Because our hearts are divided. We struggle with our fleshiness. We struggle with the influence of the world. We struggle with the, the influence of Satan and his evil schemes. And we find ourselves exploring gods with small g's to fill in the cracks and the holes of our life that we don't think have been filled by following the one true God. We let our hearts be divided. In the ancient world, there were gods all over the place. People had gods coming out of their ears. Literally, in fact, there were gods all over the place. If you went to a town or a city, that town or city could have its own god that would protect, that would look after those people. That's why the, the call from Moses to the people of Israel was so unique because they said, this isn't just a god over a singular people, although he was saying that the people of Israel were God's chosen people, but he wasn't saying that ultimately God is just your God. He's saying you're God's chosen people because God is the God of everybody and through you the world will see that 
And as they see through you who he is, they too will come to know that he is their God. Not one of many, not one of a few options, not add him to another pile of gods and you'll get a nice bowl of gods that actually satisfies. No, one true God for all people for all time. And you're the people that are going to reveal that to the world. So if you yourselves have divided hearts, if you yourselves have other gods sitting on the throne of your life, what use are you to revealing the sufficiency and majesty and sovereignty of the one true God to the whole world who live the same way as you are living, falsely serving other gods? Hey, you know, we might look at a religion like Hinduism and be like, what, 330 million gods? How do you keep up? It's like having, like, you know, you start the new Premier League season. I don't want to be irreverent, but at the start of the Premier League season, you get your new Panini sticker book and you're putting all your stickers in with your gods. It's almost like to keep up, you need like some kind of sticker book. You can collect the gods and put them in. And again, I promise you, I'm not trying to be irreverent. I'm just trying to say that it can seem to us kind of silly and superficial. And how do you even keep in mind that many gods? Of course, they don't. Nobody knows who all the 330 million are. What you do is you find a collection of them that will take care of health and wealth and family and prosperity and career and a location and, and all of these different things. And by having those gods present in your life, you will hopefully prosper. And we look at that and we're like, wow, that seems silly, 330 million gods. But I would say this, at least the Hindus are honest about the fact that they have multiple gods. At least they're aware of the fact that their hearts are divided and they're worshiping all sorts of different things. What about us? We're dishonest with ourselves about the divided nature and state of our hearts. We let our hearts be divided over family, money, career, comfort, aspiration, and on and on and on. Look, not everything important to us is an idol. And not all idols are necessarily evil in and of themselves. But anything that comes into your life and takes on the role of God, ascends the throne of your heart in some way. Well, it's not at the top of the throne. God is at the top of the throne. Maybe he's got a couple of things just sat underneath at his feet, but they're not the main. No, God will not share his throne with anyone and nor should he. Anytime that we let an idol ascend the throne of our lives, we're essentially saying, Instead of, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Hear, O message, or hear, O Manchester, or hear, O UK, the Lord our God, the Lord is one of a few things and alternatives. He's the top, but there's a couple of others in and around his place in my life. Well, if we go down that road, we are stuffed because there is only one God and a divided house will fall. And if our hearts are divided, they too will fall. Actually, and I'm going to get a little bit cheesy right now, so bear with me slightly, but think about those words. What what do you think of when you hear, hear, O Israel? Well, if you say it quickly, hear, O Israel. Hear, O, hear, O. Interesting. So actually what that statement maybe is doing, this is a bit cheesy, I, I agree, but maybe what that statement is doing is saying, who is the hero of Israel? Well, guess what, Israel, you get to decide. Who are you going to actually enthrone as your hero? Who are you going to enthrone as your hero as you go into the world? Hero world, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Is that true? Is that true in your life? Is he your hero, the one that brings salvation, the one that can save, the one that is the source of life, the one who is good, 
The only one worthy of worship, true and proper worship. Deuteronomy 4. 35, just a couple chapters before Moses gets to this point, he says, you were shown these things so that you might know that the Lord is God. Beside him, there is no other. In other words, you were shown the revelation of all that God has done in your, in your lives and through your people so that you might know that the Lord is God. Beside him, there is no other. So, so don't even try to put something beside him. Because again, we're like, oh, I haven't elevated anything above him. Fine, but you might have put something beside him. Don't do it. There's no one beside him. And then in verse 39, acknowledge and take to heart this day that the Lord is God in heaven above and on the earth below. There is no other. There is no one higher. There is no one below him. There, there is, he, he is total. He is God. There is no other. Isaiah 42a, I am the Lord, God says of himself. That is my name. I will not give my glory to anyone else, nor share my praise with carved idols. What are the carved idols that we have in our lives that we're trying to share the praise of God with? Isaiah 44, 6, a couple chapters later. This is what the Lord says. I am the first and the last, and there is no God except me. 1 Kings 8, 60. Solomon's blessing to the people. And as he blesses the people, he says that the faithfulness of God will result in all the peoples of earth knowing that the Lord is God. There is no other. This is not just for the people of Israel. This is for everybody. But through God's chosen people, his uniqueness, his oneness will be revealed. There can be only one. Of course, this is not just Old Testament phenomena. As we reach into the New Testament and, and Jesus comes into the scene as a little baby and grows up and, and begins to live and, and minister and reveal and teach and speak of the kingdom of God, we get revelation that there is indeed one God, but it's a little bit more complex than that. And so it should be because God is marvelous and wonderful. First Corinthians 8, 6, yet for us, there is but one God. There is one God, the Father, from whom all things came and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. Christ and the Father are one. 1 Timothy 2, 5 through 6, for there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. This has now been witnessed to at the proper time. Jesus, the one who saves, who comes out of the Godhead to save to the glory of the Father in the power of the Spirit. I'm not going to go through all the Holy Spirit passages with you, but it's simple to say that from the moment, the very first opening words of, of Genesis is the Spirit of God hovers over the earth over the waters as the Spirit of God right at the beginning hovers over as we progress through the story, as we see the Spirit of God upon Jesus himself in that moment of baptism where Father, Son and Holy Spirit come together in one glorious revelation of the Trinity. As we move forward with the Spirit into Pentecost where as Jesus has ascended but has promised that his Spirit power will come upon his people, his people are empowered. And what are his people empowered to do? Reveal to the world that there is one God. And he is the hope for all nations. And he is powerful. And he is sufficient. And he is sovereign. And he is marvelous. And he is life and love itself. You might be saying to me, Ben, I thought we were talking about one. You're saying there can be only one. How does it work if there's three? I'm so confused. Well, it's amazing. The Bible even helps us out with that. The word that is used in the Hebrew for one actually doesn't mean a, a singular reality. It's actually a word that means a compound unity. 
Let me explain what I mean by that. You know, it's the same word that's used in Genesis when it's said that when a man and a woman come together, they will be made one. Does that mean that they cease to be individual people? No, they come together and they are united to become one while still being in individuals. It's precious, isn't it, this marriage thing and how it's explained in the Bible. And the same word that they become one is exactly the same word that is used of God. Not a singular entity, a compound unity of Father, Son and Holy Spirit. This is unique, utterly unique. Why is it unique? How can it be unique? Because he is the only true God. There is no other. And as we look to the world for other things to try and fill little gaps and fill little voids, and, and as we start to think, oh God, I'm not feeling so confident about my finances right now, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to double down in a way that doesn't trust you and instead put more hope in, in that, what we're actually saying is, God, you're not unique enough for us. You're not sovereign enough for us. You're not powerful enough for us. We reject the idea that there is one true God. And God says, well, you know, that's what got you in the mess that you're in in the first place. So you have a choice to make. You can either decide to follow me as the one true God who will not let you down, who is forever faithful, who is not divided in his character because he's not just one as a a united essence of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's also one of character. God is not schizophrenic. All the time when I speak to atheists in, in different situations, people say to me, um, you know, uh, is, is God, you know, different in the Old Testament and the New Testament? He seems very angry in the Old Testament and more loving. I like the God of the New Testament. I'm like, no, because I'm schizophrenic. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever, it tells us in Hebrews. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is not divided in himself or about himself. And he says to us, I am not divided, so do not divide me. I am holy. I'm a holy God. I've sent my Holy Son to reconcile you back to the Godhead, even though you ran away from us and chose other gods. And I've sent a Holy Spirit to help you live the life that you were always supposed to live. And I am the only one. I am the only one who can help you be who you were always supposed to be. Shema is hoped to be said as a Jew's last words. Actually, if a Jew is about to die, they would hope to have the words of the Shema on their lips as they pass. But actually, the truth of it is that the Shema are the first words of true life. You're not truly living until you've spoken the words of the Shema and understood that you're speaking of a God who is Father, Son, Holy Spirit, bound up in the wonderful saving work of Jesus Christ, bound up in the wonderful reality of God's transforming Holy Spirit work in our lives as we then live for him. It's the first words of life, not the last words of life. Hear, O world, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Come to life and trust in him. How many gods do you follow? Reject them, get rid of them, they can't help you. And God doesn't reject you because you've rejected him. Instead, he says, come back to me. Stop running away. Come back to me and be the praise of my glory into the world. Reveal to the world. And this is perhaps best summed up for us in some other famous last words. The last words of Jesus himself to his followers. All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Why? Because there's only one God and it's him. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations because we are to reveal who he is to the world. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Why? Because that's who he is. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Teaching them to obey. Just like Moses gave the commandments. That's the foundation of our life. We're not always going to get it right. God is forgiving and the gospel covers us, but we're going to try and be faithful to you, God. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. He is not a God who has abandoned us. All the other gods will abandon you. Why? 
because they were never there in the first place. But Jesus has been with us from the beginning and he will be with us to the end because he is the one true God. The truth is there is not just simply there can be only one God as a statement. There is a better statement and it is this. Not there can be only one, but there is only one. Who will you choose to declare with your lips for that to be today? May it be exclusively, hero world, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then may that reality be revealed in his power in our lives to a world who won't know life until they know the one. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that you are the one. We repent and seek forgiveness of any time that we have allowed other gods to come into our experience. We've trusted in false gods. May our lives orientate back to you and would the world know that there is one and he is good. He is hope, he is love, he is life, he is freedom. Thank you, Jesus. Would we be your people into a hurting and needy world? Thank you that we are forgiven and we can go and reveal your forgiveness to the world. That the world would know there is one. His name is Jesus. Bless you. Thanks so much for tuning in today. Uh, make sure you click subscribe, follow all of that stuff on the social media stuff. Uh, Sam will be back here next Friday and you will be here next Tuesday. We're currently recruiting for our academy course. Please do log on to message.org.uk to find out more about that, which starts in October. We'd love to recruit some 17 to 25 year olds to come and spend a year with us. Have a great weekend. We will see you very soon. God bless. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to check out message.org.uk to find out how you can support our work or even get involved with one of our teams. We also have another podcast called The Flow Podcast where we share stories and testimonies of the amazing things that God's doing in people's lives. Search for The Flow Podcast on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. There's a brand new episode there right now.